0: Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. My conversation today is with Dr. Kate Storey, Assistant Professor in the School of Public Health at the University of Alberta. The main focus of her research is how to improve the overall health of families and communities, and she tries to ascertain the interventions that have the best chance of positive outcomes for health. She often works with schools and has seen some work that is having a big impact on lives of students. If you want to know what she's kind of about, here are the names of two articles that she's co-written, and I think they really speak about her involvement in schools. The first one is Understanding the Essential Conditions of Successful Implementation of Comprehensive School Health to Change Health Behaviors and Shift the School Culture. Quite the mouthful. And the second one is called Implementing Comprehensive School Health in Alberta, Canada, The Principal's Role. If you've ever asked yourself, how you might have an impact on the health of your students. I think you're in for some great ideas from Dr. Kate's story today. Now, if you like what you're hearing, connect with us at Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, follow us on Twitter at IntersectionEd, and we're even on Facebook. We really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with Dr. Kate's story. Dr. Kate Story, welcome so much to the Intersection Education Podcast. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: I am wonderful. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Let's get right into it. I know that uh, one of the areas uh, a focus in your work, because you've got quite a few, is school health, and that you have worked, um, I- I'd say, extensively with, with schools. Um, it's kind of a big question to start off with, but when you look at your work and you look at how that comes and plays out in schools, what are some of the biggest lessons that you have learned in relation to supporting healthy students at school?
1: So I would say the biggest lesson is that it truly takes a village. And I know that we say that with a lot of things that we do. I have two small kids myself and it certainly takes a village with them, but healthy kids and healthy schools Absolutely. A hundred percent takes a village. And when I say the village, it's not just the kids in the schools and the, the teachers and the staff and the administrators, but it's the whole community surrounding that school, whatever that community might look like. So be it the physical space around the community or the social community. So I know uh, schools have changed in terms of, you know, not every kid goes to a school that they can walk to. So it's not always that physical community, but that social community of how can we all support uh, healthy kids in healthy schools, and it truly does take a village. So I would say that that that's a huge lesson learned. I would also say that you know healthy kids learn better, and so um, it's taken us a while to get to that point of realizing that of you know um, lifestyles have changed. Our you know the the family units look different. People are I always say busy as the new black um, fine is the new, okay, you know, that type of thing. But, but really life, you know, people's lives have really, really changed, become complicated and more complex. And so, you know, that makes things often a, a bit more, a bit more challenging. And so knowing that healthy kids learn better and that yes, our lifestyles have changed, but we can support kids by leading healthier lives is, is a pretty, you know, a uh, big, big lesson. Um, I would also say that, you know, I, I move fast often. Uh, I am a, a rudder and a cyclist. And I like to, you know, sometimes I people always joke, you know, going down to the photocopy room, I'm always I'm always running. But uh, I heard at a conference, you know, that we need to look more to slow research and slow science. And so I think that that's also been another huge lesson for me, is that this work takes time, it's not going to happen overnight. And I've always known that it's just, giving yourself a moment to pause and think, man, baby steps are important and celebrating those small successes. Um, I like to celebrate things. I like to have fun. And so, you know, celebrating those, those small wins that are actually big wins is another, is another thing. And so that's slow research, slow science, but also looking towards, um, you know, when we're working with schools, um, celebrating the, the, the baby steps, um, there's a lot of other, a, a lot of other lessons learned. I would say that for me, um, I'm always surprised. And for me, this is a big passion and has driven a lot of my more recent work and has always driven my work, but it's become a huge focus for me is really prioritizing the youth voice. And so I think that sometimes we forget that you have opinions about, you know, how to be healthy kids in healthy schools. Um, and any educator knows that, we all know that, but we often just think it's too hard to involve kids in making these choices. And so really prioritizing that youth voice um, has been a really big focus for me. Uh and a really, you know, I'm never I I, I always say this, I'm, you know, both never surprised at when you speak, but also always surprised and, and just amazed, right? You get you get youth, ask them a question. What do you see in the future? And you're just, you just, if you just step back and listen, it's unbelievable the the power of that voice, especially with the change generation coming up. Um, I would say, so those are some of the the big lessons that I've learned. And also uh, another another thing that I always talk about is that this is not a binder. This is not a binder program. I can't just give you a binder to say, here's how to create a healthy school. Um, you know, or here's how to create a healthy school community. There is no manual for this. Um, every school is unique and we need to value that autonomy and we need to focus on strengths of school communities and not deficits. And there is no one size fits all binder where I can hand a binder to a school community and say, here are step one, step two, step three. And so, um, I know that that's a lot of answers, but those are (laughs) kind of my, those have been my ahas over the years, um you know of looking at this work a bit more holistically so now
0: you might have mentioned this also. Or sorry, already when you when you uh, were talking about it takes a village to create healthy students. But why do you choose to study the concept of health and healthy healthy children in schools? What it's what is it about the venue of school? Um, is it just because that's where they're at? Is is there other added elements that make it interesting for you um, to study this?
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I love kids. Uh, kids energize me. I always say that I'm I'm a middle-aged child myself, essentially. But um, I find that there, you know, schools, I was raised by, uh, my, my mom was an educator. I spent lots of time in schools. And I, you know, as a professor, I'm also an educator. Um, but I find in terms of schools, um, it is a really unique environment where not only is teaching and learning happening, but there's the ability to role model and look to the larger environment. So yes, kids are there for sure. Um, But it's there's an energy about schools uh, and there's an opportunity with schools to really work with kids in a social and a physical environment. There's also rules and policies. And so you have this, this environment that can be, you know, looked at more holistically than just the teaching and learning that's absolutely happening. But where kids can see, um, you know, health role model, they can see that role modeled in interactions amongst peers, amongst educators and teachers, they can see that role model in terms of the physical environment, where they're seeing that demonstrated of what a healthy school community from a physical environment looks like, as well as healthy school policy. And so it, it is a really unique place. And there is an energy about kids in schools. And so for me, that that's driven a lot of the work. But also, I think, um, being able to impact those multiple environmental levels is also um, super rewarding for me uh, to to be able to do that, especially because I don't believe that this is an individual level problem. I don't think that this is just simply, you know, eat healthy, move more type of thing where we're focusing on the individual. I think that we've We historically spent way too much time victim blaming of saying, you know, people should know what to do um, if they just ate healthy and uh, were more active. But we know that it's the environments that shape and provide context for what we do. And so being able to show that to kids and say this isn't we don't want to victim blame. We don't want to focus on deficits. Let's focus on strengths and let's focus on more of that bigger picture environment. Yeah.
0: Now. Now you said that there's no binder. You said that each school community yeah. is different, but I'm sure that you see some things that have a higher rate of success, or you see some things that you believe the research is, is, is edging you towards saying, hey, try this out because we think it's going to work for a large number of kids or for maybe that uh, a population of kids that are hard to reach in terms of health what would you some of those big hitters are what are some of the maybe maybe small but big things that schools can actually be doing realizing that this is not every single school is going to be exactly the same it is not a binder there is no program
1: yes so I mean interestingly enough a lot of my work over the last 10 years has been focused on Trying to understand the essential conditions for creating healthy school communities. So mm. this is what I've been trying to do without focusing on a binder. And so we looked to um, evidence that we had been um, generating um, qualitatively. So collecting and generating stories across all sorts of different partners. So students, teachers, school staff, administrators, um, you know, superintendents, all sorts of different people involved in this to say, across all of these different partners, regardless of what the widget was that you were trying to uh, implement or create in your school community, what was consistent? So you decided that you wanted to have um, you know a healthy snack program or you wanted to have an after school running program. What made those types of things work? And so we did learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've called them the essential conditions and we've since actually interviewed, um, individuals in every province and territory uh, over the last year um, to see if they held true across Canada, and so we learned a lot. One uh, of the, you know, some of the, I won't go through all of them, uh, and they're they're certainly available uh, online and publicly. But uh, you know, student voice came out super strong. So listening to what uh, the kids are interested in and want, regardless of what you're trying to do in your school community, because the reality is, if they're not bought into it it's not going to happen. Um, the other cool learning that we learned about student voice is not just listening to the student voice, but if they're engaged in it, they are actually the drivers of change amongst their peers, their family, and their community. So it used to be that we spent a lot of time creating newsletters to send home to parents of saying, you know, we have a healthy recipe. Here's the, here's the healthy recipe, or um, here's what, you can do in your home. And, and we weren't seeing a lot of change. And again, that goes back to the fact that our lives in modern society has changed. Uh, I'm super engaged in this work. And yet if I get a letter home from my daughter's school, sometimes I just can't get to it. I just can't get it done. And I, you know, and it's, and it's not that I don't want to, it's just that there's a million and a half other things going on. Uh, and so we have to realize that that's happening to everyone everywhere. Uh, but if my daughter comes home and says she's super excited about something from school, uh, or, you know, wants to try a recipe, then I'm probably going to be more likely to do it. So we actually have been seeing that students are driving the change in their home environment. They're pushing for, um, you know, purchasing healthier food options to have, say, a rainbow lunch. They're encouraging their brothers and sisters to, you know, put down the video game and say, you know, I know you played basketball for 10 minutes, but actually this is, you know, you should be doing more. Or have you thought about drinking more milk? Or did you know how important sleep was for everything else? So they're actually saying that to their older siblings. And then if we can support the students and the families with those other resources that the parent can then say, Oh, yeah, I saw that in the newsletter and, you know, and then there's, you know, healthy, affordable things that are provided, um, provided that way. So that's been a huge learning because prior to um, this work, there has been some work in the education area, but we didn't see a lot of the change being driven Uh, by students that were school-learned health behaviors prior to, say, reduce, reuse, recycle, tobacco cessation, and seatbelt use. So we did see it in those more kind of environmental things, but not in terms of nutrition, physical activity, positive social environments, and sleep. And so that's been a huge learning uh, and one of the essential conditions. So again, student voice. Uh, Another, um, you know, big factor is administrator as well as district-level support. And not passive support but active support. So even in the presence of a champion in the school community, which could be a parent, a teacher or someone else, if the school principal was not on board, it wasn't really going to move. And so actively on board, role modeling healthy behaviors. And then for the administrators of the principals in the schools, they also needed their school district to be supported so that they felt like they could prioritize the time required um towards creating healthy school communities. So that was another another huge um, lesson learned. Certainly community support was there. Uh, and there there's a whole host of other essential conditions, but I kind of picked two that I thought, you know, say something quite new because it used to just be if you have a champion in a school community, then it's no problem. Now it's no your superintendent needs to be on board. School level autonomy was another huge one. So we learned from this work that you can't have a binder because a binder doesn't build on the strengths and the successes of school communities. It really, um, you know, it might be an effective program based on say a original randomized control trial, but then you get into the realities of what we could call a real community trial or that type of RCT. And, uh, forcing a school into working one way doesn't celebrate, you know, the unique culture of that school community, um, right. as well as the strengths of that school community. So really focusing on that school level autonomy was, was hugely important and recognizing schools have felt that that's been really important for them and saying, yeah, we're not a binder. Binders don't work. I get a binder and I put on my shelf and then I, I never use it. Um, this is real life and we need to build on our strengths and assets. So. Those are three. There, there's there's more, but those are kind of the, so not the top three, but three of them that um, kind of hit home for a lot of people. So you know, it sounds
0: like what you're saying uh, it really works with what we had talked about, what we've been talking a lot about in, in in this podcast, and that's that you know the role of the teacher and the role of a leader is to have a relationship with their community and to really know their community. And then to be able to, with that knowledge, say, hey, uh, my students are interested in this. Here are our strengths. Let's build on those or leverage those to work on some of these other things around uh, increasing uh, the, you know, the the, the things that are the outcomes, the health outcomes that we have or maybe the nutritional outcomes that you have. Again, it also sounds like the successful schools – didn't have one focus it was far ranging and whatever they kind of needed to work on that's where they went would you agree with that
1: absolutely and I think I mean another essential condition that came out was the use of evidence so local school level evidence and so you can only really build on your strengths if you know what they are Mm -hmm. and so looking to whatever that is yes it could be research or it can be evaluation or it can be school there's a lot of um, evidence locally that's out there at each school that schools can have access to to say, oh, you know, this has been a challenge for us. How can we work, you know, towards um, improving that? Or we've really, we've really succeeded with this type of approach uh, based on our local evidence. And so, absolutely, evidence is important, and that's also been uh, really helpful for school communities because we also know that. Not everyone is on board with a lot of this work. And so having that evidence to stand behind has been hugely important. So we've had principals say to us, uh, you know, I know that I need to role model. I know that I need to be actively involved in this. But if I'm going to put myself out there, I know that I might get that one or 3% of my office that says school nutrition policy. No, we're not on board with this. We aren't on, you know, like this parent community is not. And then the principal can say, Actually, based on a you know survey, 97% of parents are supportive of this. Yeah. And so you can stand behind that local evidence to not feel like, you know, you're constantly on the defensive about creating a healthy school communities. So it's helpful from all different levels. And
0: that's exactly what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, what are some of the evidence tools that you've seen some of the schools use? You mentioned uh, parental surveys or some other um, interesting tools that you've seen um, s- schools leverage.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, one one tool that's been often used is called the Healthy School Planner. The Joint Consortium for School Health has created it. Um, there's also all sorts of, you know, I know people are listening to this from across Canada. I would say, you know, look to your school board as well as, you know, provincial assessments. There's a lot of tools that have been used across Canada that schools have access to that data. Um, you know, there's also you can create, you know, I know principals and teachers are often, you know, Doing their own surveys of parents, uh, but just you know, adding questions or 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 looking to what you can add to, to understand kind of that landscape of your school community. But I would say ask first. Um I'm not aware of absolutely everything across Canada that's being used. I just know that the last thing we want to do is overburden schools by you know introducing more surveys and more tools. And so see what's already available and out there. Uh, or if that something can be modified. So I know, you know, um, in various provinces, there's often, uh, you know, district level or school level surveys that are going out by um, government. And so, you know, partnering and seeing a question can be added is always, is always a possibility. So I
0: have an interesting question for you. One thing that we often hear from students, but you know what we hear from teachers too, is that they know what's healthy. They know absolutely the right things to be doing. In fact, most of the times, they know all the things that they're doing wrong, but they just can't make the change. Um, Do you have any tips for helping with this problem, whether it be – and like I said, I think it's universal. I think that we hear that from our students as well as from teachers and staff and EA and everything like that. Um, Anything that you've seen or any maybe personal tips?
1: So, this is, this goes back to the point of why I like working in schools and that we have done such a good job of blaming the individual over, you know, several, you know, historically, but it isn't, people, as you said, people know what to do. Um, We did some work with high school kids and I remember reading the interview transcript saying, oh my goodness, their concept of what healthy, quote unquote, is, is so, complicated that I could never, you know, no wonder why we feel bad about ourselves. You know, it was like, I need to sleep this many hours every night. I should never eat junk. Uh, I need to exercise daily. I need to uh, recycle. I need to do yoga. Like it was 10 things that just no human was capable of doing on a daily basis. And then they felt guilty about it. So I think that we need to first realize that, yes, we have a lot of information at our disposal. People tend to know uh, what's healthy and what's not. And this comes back to the concept of our environment. Our environment is not supportive or conducive to living a healthy lifestyle. And so this is why I am so passionate about creating healthy school communities. So healthy schools within healthy communities that are supportive uh, of living, you know, in a healthy way. And so there are a variety of things that we can do, um, you know, role modeling, um, healthy language. So even like role modeling, healthy sleep talk amongst ourselves that are, you know, educators, teachers of saying, as opposed to saying, Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so tired. I only slept this much last night. You know, that makes, um, it doesn't exactly create an environment conducive to supporting students and wanting to have, you know, healthier sleep habits also looking to So that's more on the social environment, but the physical environment is really important. And so this is where, you know, having options for being physically active for eating healthy in our school communities is so important because when you're faced with different choices, um, the healthy choice is not always the easy choice to make, especially when you're 10 or 12, you know, or 15 or 40, right? It's just, it's it's not. And so, um, you know, finding ways for the school to potentially have, say, uh, a nutrition policy or provincial nutrition policies for schools. So, um, you know, we have guidelines in Alberta, but, you know, looking to policy there also physical activity policy. So we do have the daily physical activity policy, but how can we look to support active community? So are we supportive of that for our school communities? Do we have programs in place to allow for that? Um, and really, again, looking at those bigger environments, again, to see how can we, if we want to make the healthy choice, easy choice, what does that require? And so, uh, you know, having sometimes, you know, having having water bottles available to drink water as opposed to other types of, of beverages. Um You know, I know in other, well, in France and other places looking to get rid of, you know, smartphones in classrooms so that students can be more engaged and, and, and not as worried about some of those social factors that can sometimes prevent, uh, learning. So it all comes back to creating healthy environments and the fact that it is, this is not, this shouldn't be about individuals. This should be about, um, yeah, looking a, a bit more holistically and, and we, we call it the socio model, but that is tremendously important mm-hmm. and, and, and allowing people to just honor what they're feeling and saying, you know, I know this, but it's hard, right? And, and recognizing that uh, individual behavior change is very, very hard, especially in today's society. And so giving yourself a bit of a break um, is also quite helpful.
0: Absolutely. I'm all about the small, tiny little change and make a series of small changes. You get big results. Absolutely. I want to move into uh, some ideas a little bit more generally about education. And, and, and you reference the point that you work in schools a lot. I mean, you are, you are a teacher at, at a university. I'd like to know, is there something about learning or education that you believe to be true that most people or at least a, a large percentage of people would disagree with you about?
1: So I mean I, I would say again I'm coming more from a health perspective and so I you know looking at some of these questions I'm, I'm I am an educator at a university but I'm not an educator in in um, uh, schools with younger children and so I it is a very different environment and so I, I will provide that as kind of a, a backdrop I would say that we're now getting what I'm going to say I don't think I don't believe to be uh, true but I would say that we often still hear it. Um, Is that, you know, schools shouldn't be in the business of of creating healthy school communities. We're in the business of education. And so I think one thing that's helped education and health talk to each other a bit more is the concept that healthy kids learn better. And people are starting to realize that any, you know, I again, I'm not an educator in a classroom um, with younger kids. But I am even, you know, with with students in graduate school. But if I, when I talk to educators that are working with younger kids, you know, you ask them, does that, does a, a student that's fed learn better? Does a student that hasn't had too much, you know, caffeine learn better? Does a student that's moved around and had some physical activity learn better? Does a student that has spent time outside learn better? And they all say yes. You know, take a student that hasn't been outside, hasn't had a meal, uh, hasn't had any physical activity, hasn't slept, and it's pretty hard to teach those kids. And so I think that more we recognize that um, if we look at a whole child, it's not just about teaching and learning. It's about everything that's going on in their lives. And teachers know that, and they always have. And so um, I think that, first of all, that recognition that healthy kids learn better, that it is in our best interest to help create that uh, healthy school community. But I think also – Uh, one thing that we haven't done as well is trying to make it so that this isn't an add-on. And I think people are starting to believe that if we we can set up the creation of Healthy School Communities so that it actually makes a super busy teacher's job easier and then it's not an add-on and one more thing asked of a teacher, that is tremendously important. And I don't think we're always doing that. And I think we could do a better job of that. But I think we're getting there, figuring out how things are integrated already into curriculum.
0: That's awesome. I love that recognition of the fact that we can't just keep doing more. At one point, we need to have techniques that are going to be equally effective and, uh, within the same amount of time. So that's great. Yeah, absolutely. of kind of shows that you've been working in schools, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully.
0: Now, when you think of the term, now, now I have two kind of versions of this uh, question and I'm, I'm getting away from this concept of master teacher because I think that that's kind of set. And what I'd rather speak to you about is, is learning environments. Mm. If you think about the best learning environment and that includes what's around, that includes the people who are leading it or not leading it, how they're leading it. If you think about um, all the activities that go into that, this can be both for yourself personally, or this could be what you've seen. What have you seen to be the best learning environments and how do we create them?
1: Oh man. So again, I come at this from a very, the learning environments that I set up for my students are are very different. And so I feel, you know, somewhat uncomfortable saying what's the best learning environment uh, in say an elementary or secondary school. Um, But I think it comes back to um, kind of one of my mantras is that any fool can know the point is to understand and that's for Einstein. And so truly understanding, you talk to teachers and educators, um, every class, every year is different. You know, every group of students, there's a dynamic. And so not just knowing something, but really trying to understand the students and understand, um, the setting and understand the environment of what's best that year isn't always going to be best the next year. And so, um, I think that that, pausing and being able to understand kind of the context is super important. So I'm big on context. So what's context? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I will say that uh, for me when I'm teaching, you know, light, I, I've taught in classrooms that are, have no light or no exposure to light. And again, it's just a, it's a three hour session. Um, but you know, if, if students didn't have exposure to light at all all day. you know I found that the energy levels are super low and so uh, finding ways to integrate movement for me is key in my classroom. Um, exposure to light, um, you know different abilities for kids to move so we're not trying to engineer the play out of them. So I know even talking to my daughter they have some with wobbly stools and she's a lot like me. she likes the wobbly stool way better than the you know structured stool or structured chair. Um, so I, but again, that depends on, on the class. So some classes are different than others. And I certainly see that amongst, um, when I'm teaching, um, and, and being able to constantly read the room to create a, create a safe space. So I think that's the other thing for me is creating, you know, working with grad students, it's always about creating a safe environment to learn. And that looks different all the time. Um, but being open to change for me is really important. So I might have to, you know, shift gears on a moment's notice, but um, and also, you know, I always say that life happens and life happens to me as well as with my students. And so being able to recognize that, um, and, and, and telling them that, that that's okay, uh, gives them sometimes permission to learn and to understand and not just know, uh, as well as for myself. So,
0: yeah, those are great ones. Thanks. Um, do you have a favorite failure or a favorite success that helped you learn an important lesson? Something that you have experienced or lived, and you look back and say, Oh yeah, yeah, I learned a lot out of that.
1: I would say that uh over time, um you know, sometimes I, I don't know. I think I think that reflection is important. So, you know, reflecting on this question as well as reflection, sometimes I'll look back and I'll think, how did I not know that before? Like, how did I not see that? Um, and so I think that in many ways I move both faster and slower now, but having, you know, having moments to just pause and just say, I didn't see that because I just I couldn't at that point, And that's okay. And I'm only one person. Um, and, and certainly I have a huge team and, and everyone's fabulous and wonderful, but you can only, you know, you can only do so much. And so sometimes we take on this work and we think, you know, you want to see change happen fast, and you want to say, how did I not see that? Or how did I not notice that? Or how did I not um, think about that? And so for me, it's both a lesson, um, both a success and potentially a failure that the success is that giving myself time for reflection and and thought allows me to see what maybe I didn't do as well at, but also allows me to um, remind myself that, you know, changes slow that that those small successes are worth celebrating and that this is a journey and so you know I think that I'm always reminding myself that it's not just um, you know that the the the, uh, the journey is just as important as the destination and so really trying to enjoy those bumps in the road as we as we move through things and um, recognizing I think for me you're gonna have bumps in the road and just you know, as opposed to dreading them, just looking forward to to understanding what they are in that journey.
0: That's that's great, and that speaks to your your point that you you had mentioned earlier that um, that that sometimes the change process is slow. Sometimes getting people involved in healthier is slow, and uh, uh, I kind of interpreted that as we, we don't have to win today. Um, exactly. We can, yeah. or maybe the win in quotation marks, the win can be can be a small win today.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a couple quick answered questions. Um, do you have a favorite app, website, or other media that you either use personally or that you refer maybe some of your clients or students to?
1: You know, I was thinking about this because I saw that. I don't know that I do. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not on Twitter. and I'm not on Facebook. Um, I probably should have a favorite app, website, or other media. Uh, I'm in the process of creating a website for my research group, so maybe that will be one of my favorite ones. But um, I I mean, I would say that I've come to enjoy YouTube and the ability to share things uh, in terms of creation of videos, uh, I think um, has become something that I'm looking to do more of. So celebrating success stories through videos and highlighting student voice Um, I would like to do more of that in the future and certainly am planning on doing more of that. Uh, and I think YouTube or whatever, you know, creating videos that you can put on YouTube has been, um, has, has worked quite well for some of our projects. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that that's a favorite or if I'm answering your question and it's maybe not a quick hitter, but, uh, yeah, I don't know that I have one favorite. I
0: was trying to think about that. That's okay. Is there a book that you quote, refer to, have marked up or kind of give away?
1: Oh man! Now you're getting into questions. So, I mean, <laughs> from a from a work perspective, thinking qualitatively, all my grad students—that's uh, the course that I teach, the qualitative methods course. Uh, that book is probably the most marked up, but it's the textbook I used to teach. Uh, but from a fun side of things, I would say the book that I've gifted uh, most recently uh, a lot is called Factfulness by Hans Rosling. Um, and it really, you know, I think in, in society today, sometimes we look at, um, all of the negatives that are happening, but this actually provides a little bit of hope of, you know, we've actually come a long way in the, in the world. Uh, The Great Gatsby is a, is a huge favorite of mine. So I, I often gift that. Uh, so I think going back to some old classics is, 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 is amazing. And then recently the book, another book that I've been recommending to people that's, um, interesting to me is is called Hillbilly Elegy uh by JD Vance and that um I really enjoyed reading that book and provides kind of an understanding of much of our current political context I feel like in the world right now. So um but those are yeah those those that's what initially came to mind.
0: That's great. I can
1: go I can I, there's a lot of books for different occasions. <laughs>
0: I often joke that this is sometimes the hardest question because people love to read and they just, yeah, the, to, to limit it to just a few is difficult.
1: Well, and then, I mean, I have series of books of uh, nighttime stories for rebel girls. That's what nice. uh, my daughter and I pick one of those out every night. And then uh, I really like, uh, from a kids' work perspective, we've been spending a long time reading Ada Twist Scientist because uh, uh, the apple does not fall or- fall far from the tree with my kids. And so all of the whys of the world uh, for Ada Twist scientists is a, is a big one. But uh, yeah, so those are, that's that's more of the kid domain. But nighttime rebel girls and Ada Twist scientists.
0: Is there one thing that you do, or maybe a few things that you do every day that helps you to be well and healthy?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, so I cycle to work. So that uh, is amazing for me. Um, I have it, like I said, I have a two year old and a five year old and, and they are amazing, but sometimes mornings can, you know, be a bit hectic and I want to be able to get to work and have kind of a clear mind. So hopping on my bike and being in the river valley is just uh, an amazing way to both start and end the day, um, from a clarity perspective. I also often run most days. So that's more of, I would say the biking is more of kind of a mindfulness and clarity and and the running is more of a stress relief uh, for me. So that's uh, one thing. Uh, Sitting down at the table and we try, so our kids are little, so they're not in programs right now, but um, every night having dinner at the dining room table, uh, if we can. um, And and we usually can, because again, they're small right now. uh, But that's, that's really important. I love cooking. So I, I love to cook. Um, I love spending time cooking. And so cooking with my kids at the end of the day and then sitting down at the table uh, is, is also helps me. Um, yeah. I mean, those are kind of, those are, those would be the main things, but uh, yeah, just spending time outside um, just, you know, after dinner, little park out front, running around climbing trees, just, yeah. So those are reading Yeah. Lots of things.
0: It it could be short term or it could be long term. This next question, is there an organization or a person who really inspires you?
1: I would say that there are a lot of organizations and people that inspire, inspire me for different reasons. So I looked at this and I thought, I can't just pick, uh, one. I would say youth constantly inspire me. Um, and I don't say that lightly. I know people often say that, but, you know, if you take a moment to just step back and ask a question, even, you know, sometimes I'm surprised by my two-year-old's answers to things, you know, and that can be inspiring my five-year-old. It just provides complete clarity. Um, but, yeah, really genuinely being interested in what a student or the or, you know, a younger person thinks about something that's affecting them, you know, and just recognizing and saying that to them of realizing uh, in my work or in other situations of, but if we take work, for example, we're trying to create healthy school communities, you know, what makes you like, what jives for you? What gets you fired up, you know, to create a healthy school community? And what they say, if they feel like you're genuinely listening to them uh, is pretty amazing. So I would say that, yeah, yeah. you, you know,
0: inspire me so yeah great uh let's talk about what's next for you what are some of the questions or uh studies you're looking at uh conducting what can we maybe look to you in the coming months and and years um around maybe health and schools and
1: yeah so i mean i would say that we're from a, you know, from a very much a work perspective, um, within looking at the uh, essential conditions, we're looking at trying to create indicators for those. And that's come very strongly from school communities and from national organizations. And so, um, looking to create those indicators and figuring out how this could be used as a resource to support school communities, because it is the number one question that I get. Okay. If it's not a binder, then tell me how to do it. Cause I don't know how. Uh, so that's something that's, um, definitely, uh, coming, um, up next. And I think that goes across all different, um, you know, projects that I'm, I'm working with. So I work with a, a number of different, uh, projects and programs. And so, uh, I think that that's, you know, in many ways a common theme and then just, uh, you know, figuring out how we can do, uh, a better job of connecting all of the different pieces. And so I think that, you know, there's a lot of we always say there's a lot of pockets of brilliance uh, out there, and so I work uh, certainly within Alberta, but across Canada as well. Um, you know, with with schools as well as jurisdictions, with provincial organizations, with some national organizations, and so I think that for me, um, really figuring out how to how to align that and share those stories in a in a purposeful and meaningful way is is another big thing for me. Yeah. So.
0: Uh, let's say people are wanting to connect with you, follow along with your work. Um, I heard that the website isn't quite there yet, but uh, what might be some of the ways that they could uh, they could reach out to you or just follow along?
1: Yeah, so the best way would be my email address at this point, yeah. uh, which is K-A-T-E dot story, s-t-o-r-e-y at ualberta.ca. Uh, I will have a website uh, pretty shortly in the new year. And so that will be another place where I'm hoping to kind of put everything up there yeah. um, where people can access. Um, but, you know, for now email and then uh, website to come, I, I'm not sure what the address will be, but um, we're looking at options right now. So I don't want to say the wrong thing and then <laughs> go to some other, other Kate stories website. Yeah,
0: that's great. No, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Story. A um, lot of great takeaways and, um, and, and I really think that we're going to have an impact on student health and uh, people are going to be able to walk away and say, Hey, I can do that. And I've heard from you. It's, it's listening to our school community, listening to our students and starting small. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. And roll on, keep role on with all the great things that are happening. So thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was fun.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the intersection education podcast. Before you go, I'd like to recognize that the land where this interview took place is a sacred place that has a long history of human existence. This land has helped people like the Cree, Salto, Nisitapi or Blackfoot, Métis and Dakota Sioux live well for thousands of years. Let us continue to live well and respect this land.